Blog Talk Radio. The following is a post time with Mike and Mike production. Beckham Z-Jam down by the seaside. Beckham Z-Jam wins the Breeders' Crown. It's Rock and Run. Mick Wicked on the inside. Mick Wicked to win the Jim York Memorial. Fear the Dragon fights on. Down by the seaside on the outside. Fear the Dragon down by the seaside. Down by the seaside. And Brian Sears gets up to do it. Keystone Velocity getting closer. Mel Marr looking for the line. Keystone Velocity. Keystone Velocity takes it at the very end. All bets off. Keystone Velocity. Keystone Velocity. And Dan Dubay to win the Potomac Pace. This guy's the Energizer Bunny as they head for the wire fire your guns. Here he comes. Foiled again. He keeps going and going and going and going and going. You are tuned in to the official podcast of the sport of harness racing post time with Mike and Mike with co-hosts Mike Carter and it's bus 936 and bus 936 on the wings of an angel and Mike Bozich outside heaven rocks but the clock's running out filibuster Hanover wins the Commodore Ferry International Flair joining the program as we uh, take a look at 17-year-old Luke Humphreys, who we found by mistake last week um, as he was calling some races over at Australia. But, Mike, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to a couple of his race calls, but, boy, let me tell you something. He could very well be the next big dig. Yeah, he's 17, Mike, and he's uh, been calling a lot of the big races down in Australia. As a matter of fact, Luke received the 2018 Best News Story for Harness Racing Australia, uh, Joe Coulter Media Awards uh, for the Elite Lop 2018 coverage. So, you know what? He is one of those youthful veterans, so to speak. And, you know, we were talking off the air a little bit about this uh, a couple of days ago. And, Mike, I mean, he's 17 years old. I mean, you know, when we were 17, I, I don't know about you, but when I was 17, I had no calling experience, none at all, yeah. none whatsoever. Uh, as a matter of fact, my first calling job was until I was like, you know, I think 21 or 22. But when this kid turns 21 or 22, Mike, he's going to have five years or six years of experience calling big races, big events. The sky is definitely the limit. And we're lucky to have Luke Humphreys on. And by the way, here's the here's a cool thing, Mike. What time is it over there in Australia right now? It is two thirty three in the morning. Two thirty three in the morning. That he's just getting back. Uh, he'll be just getting back from work, so it'll be interesting to talk to him about that. Mike, he's already called a grade three race. Of course, they have the graded stake system over there. I'll tell you what. At seventeen, I was only dreaming about calling graded stakes races. 
Yeah, I mean, well, at 17, we're dreaming about calling any race. We're four claimer would be good for us, but uh, no, this is uh, this is an unbelievable story, and uh, we're gonna have a chance to talk to him. And is uh, once again we get into the winter months, Mike, where we kind of you know focus uh, just a little bit on. Uh, racing that's going on overseas and and uh, luke Humphreys will be joining us plus mike it is our first of many usta minutes that we'll be uh previewing and uh, actually debuting here in 2019 tc lane is going to be talking about a very important technological advance moving forward mike and that is microchipping yeah we've got some questions for tc lane it was broken uh, towards the end of last year that microchipping will be replacing the freeze branding uh beginning with um 2021 every horse must be microchipped by then we'll be talking that with tc lane about that some exciting things and some different innovative ideas uh coming out of uh, the usta we're going to be talking about those uh throughout some segments over the next couple of weeks we also hope to get our town hall segment back with usta president russell wilson uh that was always a, a fun segment as well and we're also going to be talking to a very special guest, Mike, who you know, uh, Kelly Spencer, the Director of Business Development for the Stable.ca. Uh, she worked at Grand River Raceway as the Marketing Director there for 22 years, and boy, she's got some great things going on at the Stable.ca. Yeah, she certainly does, and she has been dubbed by many people as the guru of marketing, so we're going to get into a really good conversation with her, and this is going to be her first time on Post Time with Mike, and Mike, and listen, whenever we have a chance to talk about marketing the business, that's that's always uh, a good thing, because obviously it's very, very important moving forward, and Kelly Spence has been dubbed by a lot of people as the guru, so we're going to see, uh, we're, we're going to see what kind of marketing wisdom that she can implore on on this show i'm sure it's going to be quite a bit but uh mike real quick before we get into the show i was uh i was looking at our stats page uh Uh-oh. on blog talk radio we we i think we talked about this a little bit last week on our year in review show where um you could blog talk basically gives you uh, it, it, it tells you what countries listen to your show most and and what states listen to your show most so I click the states thing, um, and it, it, and basically what it does is it brings up a map of the United States, and the the all the states are shaded uh, like a dark a darker blue. The darker they're shaded, the more listeners you got from that particular state. And I, I got to tell you, I I think that this may just be like in the last three months or so. I don't think it's overall because remember. A year and a half, a year ago, or so we we did a little contest. I you, it might have been one of the shows you missed, but we did a contest about if people could name like the three states that we actually had no listeners from. Oh, that yeah, we gave give away a prize. Okay, um, the, this this has to be from the last three months because I I remember there was less than right now. There's uh, ten states showing that we don't have listeners from. Ten, I mean that zero percent. One, two, three, four. Yeah, 10. And uh, I remember that number being a lot less before. Yeah, but, last week, uh, I remember correctly. Right, right. Okay, so anyway, so, so I think this must be a time thing. I don't think this is for all time. But uh, where are your – so I'm, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I scrolled on Mississippi. Now, you're from Mississippi, okay? You're, you're, you're right? Yeah, I'm from uh, – I, oh, I, I okay. would – I'm not from there, but I lived there for a few years, yeah. 
Okay, so Mississippi boy done good, right? Well, we Mississippi is one of the ten states that we don't have any listenership from. Well, it's funny because there's no horse racing in Mississippi. There is – I take that back. There is horse racing at the Neshoba County Fair that also hosts quarter horse racing, thoroughbred racing, and harness racing all on the same surface. So I wonder why we don't have any listenership there. We might have to – the Neshoba County Fair and uh, do some broadcast, man. We we might have to, but I mean some of the I mean it's always interesting to take a look at this because uh, you know you like to know where your listeners are coming from and obviously there's there's none in Alaska, uh, none in Hawaii, um, you know like some of the some of the usuals and basically that's what it is it's where there's no harness racing, you know there's there's no listeners because there's no harness racing like Washington okay Idaho, Montana, um, what's what's the state below Montana Wyoming. No, that's not Wyoming. Is it Wyoming? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's okay. All right. We do have some listeners from Utah. Well, listen, we've got a number that's going to develop today. We have 1.1% of our listeners listen from Australia. And I'll tell you what, Mike, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what that number looks like after this week uh, because Luke Humphreys is going to join the program. And the trots actually got involved. Uh, uh, when we started promoting this thing, promoting this thing on Monday, so I wonder how many people stayed up, uh, stayed up to or listened to Luke Humphreys on our program. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, a lot of people I don't think realize it's it's they got a little bit of a different setup down there in Australia. I mean, well, first of all, with the racing, I mean, obviously they they go different distances. Um, you know, some races are actually on the turf, which we I think we tried here one or two times at the Meadowlands, it didn't really quite yeah. go over all that well. Um, but obviously different distances, uh, you know, the track layouts a lot of times are different. It's, it's not necessarily the, you know, the uh, oval shape that you see here, at, that predominantly here at, uh, in the States. Um, and, and the way they promote their racing is kind of different too. Like even if you look at, the, if, if you look at thoroughbreds, okay, if you look at uh, like on TVG, it's, it's dubbed and promoted as Australian racing. And you have to bet it like Australia A, Australia B, Australia C, as opposed to like getting a whole card from one particular racetrack. Um, why is that, Mike? You've been in simulcast. Do you have any idea why, why that is? Well, basically, I mean, it's just four different racetracks, and basically, the Australian pools that the United or that we're wagering into uh, filter up through Woodbine uh, Entertainment Group, so they have to be able to sort those out. So the easiest way is just to label them Australia A, B, C, D, etc. Um, I know some of the ADWs now are actually taking Australian hardest, uh, right? Hardest, which is great for people like me and you who want to be able to cover this type of stuff because now we can go onto our twin spires or TVG or what have you, and actually physically watch this stuff. If you want to bet on it, you can bet on it. You can do any of that stuff. And it's really kind of cool. The innovative tools that have been made available um, to us over here in the United States uh, to be able to wager on international racing. Um, nor- or I, I use Northfield as, as an example, but Australia is able to wager into pool or not into commingled pools, but into their own pools for like Yonkers and Northfield and Western fair gets into the mix once in a while. So does the Meadowlands. So it's really kind of cool to see how that all interacts with each other. Now is our American product like when, when we show our, a signal to Australia. Is it kind of the same way? Like instead of the whole card from the Meadowlands or the whole card from here, the whole card from there, is it presented as like America A, America B, America C? 
No, it's not. Um, it is, uh, you know, it, it's presented, you know, Northfield Park and things of that sort. So, you okay. know, it, how the, that's how they do it there. Okay. All right. And, uh, and one final question. When, uh, like, like if you cash a ticket in Australia, why does it take like three hours to, to, to uh, get your money? Good question. Good question. <laughs> Good question. And what was that track that you, you, you uh, messaged Garnett and I at two? I think it was like two thirty-five in the morning. Let, let's not go there. Let's not go well, there. What's the name of the track? Mumbai. Let's not go there, Mumbai. Where is it? It's in India. Oh. <laughs> okay. Was it thoroughbred? It was thoroughbreds, right? Yes, it was thoroughbreds. Okay. All right. And it's interesting. And, you know, and even like Laurel, if you watch the end of Laurel, what are those races from Chile, right? Yeah, some of those are from Chile. Um, I think they're either from Hippodermo or, um, oh, goodness, what's the place called? San Isidro. That's the place. Okay. All right. So, I mean, so there's, you know, there's a lot of, I think a lot more international flares being mixed in, seems like you know, in, into our racing product, which is good, which is obviously very good. I mean, you know, everything else has gone global. Why not racing, right? Yes, I agree 100%. Right. So anyway, um, and, and real quick, before we get to our first commercial timeout, before we get to Luke, um, how about uh, our good friend, Dan Noble, winning the Drivers' Challenge? You had a chance to uh, cover that, right? And it was, it was really good coverage from the Harness Racing fans, zone, I got to say, because there were a lot of good behind-the-scenes interviews uh, you know, with a lot of the drivers there, and uh, and I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, you know, Dan Noble pulled it out, a little home court advantage there, maybe. Yeah, I think so. You know, Dan did a great job. Um, all the drivers did a heck of a job coming on late. Uh, Travis Henry and those guys. You know, it was really kind of cool to see them uh, kind of come together. All right, let's uh, take our first time out. When we come back, it's the 17-year-old youthful veteran, as I like to call him, because he's covered so many races. Plus TC Lane and the USTA Minute and a lot more. You've got post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. At Bet America, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the Bet America way. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain. Rehab. Rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Mike Bozich here along with Mike Carter for Pacing for the Cure. Do you or someone you love with multiple sclerosis have a difficult time paying for your MS medications or need medical equipment such as a wheelchair or scooter? Pacing for the Cure can help. Please visit the pacingforthecure.org website and complete the mobility aid application. If eligible, you may receive funding. Again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Mike? 
Are you a harness racing trainer, driver, or owner? Please join the list of those who pledged in 2017 for the $1 per win challenge. The 2018 challenge has begun and wins tally from January 1st through October 31st. If you are interested in joining the challenge, please email Jeff at PacingForTheCure.org. Thank you, drivers, trainers, and owners. Once again, that's PacingForTheCure.org. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. Post time, gates moving. They're off and it is on. Every year, the Harness Horse Youth Foundation travels the country to share the love of harness racing with the next generation. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation educates introducing youth to new friends and opportunities. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Learn how you can support bringing kids and horses together, building a stronger future for the sport. Visit hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org. Back on post time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the United States Drawing Association. Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter. Great, great show coming up for you. Luke Humphreys will be our first guest. He'll be joining us in just a minute or two from Australia. Mike Carter is trying to link him in as we uh, speak. Also, TC Lane, it'll be our first ever USTA minute and a very important topic coming up towards the top of the hour. TC Lane. Uh, from the USTA is going to be talking about microchipping, a very, very important topic. And uh, we'll talk to TC about what uh, actually that entails and we'll get some information on that. Plus, the Stables marketing guru, Kelly Spencer, will be joining us. She is the director of business development for the Stable.ca. She's going to talk about her racing career. Uh, 22 years for Kelly Spencer as the marketing director at Grand River and Elmira Raceway, and she has latched on to Anthony McDonald and the stable, and we'll talk uh, a little bit uh, to her about the fractional ownership group that is the stable.ca, along with, uh, like I said, a little bit about her career. But before we go any further, I did uh, pull up 
a call from Luke Humphreys. For those of you that aren't really familiar with Luke Humphreys and uh, his call of the Inter-Dominion Grand Final. This was from the grandstands at Melton. And, uh, and of course, that's in Australia. And uh, Luke has had uh, the opportunity to call a lot of big races for such a young, young age. And for those of you who uh, haven't heard Luke Humphreys, the 17-year-old wonder from down under. Let's check it out. Here's Tiger Tara. When he was on the pegs in the Victoria Cup, he was unstoppable. He got to the pegs after only 300 metres from the outside. He leads by three metres. San Carlo going for the fairy tale story is sick at the outside as they just take a little bit of pace out of it. Mark Doro third. It's chances away on the garage. And obviously it's buffering a little bit, but first of all, let me just throw this in. He does not sound like he is 17. No way. Here we go. One moves around the outside and then Cape Cash and Flow, who's back on the inside with Galactic Star. They have a circuit to travel at the... Wow, so it's kind of buffering in and out, but uh, so let me see if I could actually get on the Wi-Fi here. That would make uh, that would make it a little bit better. Okay, here we go. Five meters to Max, the man who's been struggling to pick up momentum after copying a checker lap ago. The first quarter of the last mile in 30.1. They have 800 meters to travel. 28.7 the second quarter. 58.8 the first half of the last mile. Tiger Tara, the leader, in the 79th running at the end of the Dominion Grand Final, and he turns it on now. Leads by five metres, six metres to San Carlo. On the inside is Mark Doro. They were followed then under pressure out wider by Spanker, but Tiger Tara, he's the one to catch the Tiger. He leads by seven metres from Mark Doro at the 400 metres. San Carlo is at the centre. Spanker, Cruz Brobeck needs to get on his bike. Around the outside is our Uncle Sam. But Tiger Tara's a quarter of the length of the straight in front of the 200. He's 25 metres in front. He's destroying the end of the midget field. Our Uncle Sam has run to second. Spankham and Cruz Brobeck are battling away. But Tiger Tara, Todd McCarthy, Kevin Pesuto, the Tiger with his biggest draw yet. One by 15 metres. Second hour, Uncle Sam, and extra cruise, Bro Magnet, Spanker by Pat Delight, can't refuse. They were followed by San Carlo, Cash and Flow. Galactic Star lost its chance at the start. Mark Doro, Rappers Delight, and Maximan copped a bit of a check out near the 1,800 metres and never really recovered. It was a sizzling 26.2 third quarter, 27.8 the fourth and final quarter. The last half mile in around 54 seconds of the Aldebaran Park mile race in 1.53. Holy mackerel. That was unbelievable. For a 17-year-old, for anybody to call a race of that quality is unbelievable. And uh, let's see if we can bring Mike Carter. Mike, can we bring you in? Yeah, um, I'm here. Uh, Luke's working on getting the link to work now. So uh, we're going to have him on here in just a little bit. Uh, But how about that, man? You know, at 17 years old, I was not able to go through a whole field. That's for sure. I know that. Yeah, and th- th- we're not talking about an eight or a nine horse field here. One, no. two, let's see. Thirteen horse field. Thirteen horse field. Wow. And he called that race from the grandstand. And I, well, first of all, I, I had to interrupt the race like about a couple of uh, calls in because 
he doesn't sound like he's 17. No, not one bit. That was not just... <laughs> I'll tell you what, if if he's if he's that good at 17, can you imagine I mean, what he's in five yeah, years? 20, 22, 23, 24 years old? Yeah. Can you imagine? Definitely uh, uh, going to be interesting, that's for sure. All right, so he's trying to hook up to the link uh, to, to try to. We, we got to get him on now. This is this is <laughs> after I heard that race call. We we, we can't have technical problems with it. We got to get him on. Yeah, we're we're working on it now uh, with him um, through through Twitter. Uh, send him the link, so we'll see what happens here. It, it, it's a little bit tougher to get the international folks on from Canada. It's not so bad, but we will start talking about Australia and uh, UK and Great Britain and all those uh, things get to be a little. Uh, Things get to be a little dicey there. That's for sure. Yeah, but so so we're we'll we'll get him on. We'll get him if it's not before TC. We'll we'll uh, well. I can't make that guarantee, but we'll definitely try hard to get him on before the the end of the program. Because uh, man, that was good. Yeah, that was really it? good. I, I you know I I mean I I kind of heard you know because I, I know you shared a couple of his calls on Twitter. And uh, I was I was kind of distracted. I was doing something when I when I first heard the his call. But you know, now that I really had a chance to sit down and, and listen to it, man, wow. wow! Now 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 keep in mind that the and, and this is no knock against American call. Well, we're American callers, but I mean, no <laughs> knock against us, I should say. But 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 they as. I think a general rule of thumb, I think that Australian callers tend to be more descriptive. Right. Overseas they, callers they, tend to be more descriptive. They can be, yes. That's, you know. And I think – and actually, I think there's a, a reason for that. I, I, don't they do more audio? I mean, like audio only? Like, like don't they do like more over the radio, more over – uh, things like that than, than we do here in the States. So I guess you have to be kind of more descriptive if that's the case. Yeah, they do. Um, a lot of that stuff is um, they you know, they don't uh, publicize their video broadcast um, kind of like we do over here in the States. So it, it's one of those things where radio is kind of their, you know, kind of their forte and kind of their thing. So, you know, that, that's just kind of how things are. Uh, things have to be done over there. And, uh, you know, we'll hopefully have uh, Luke on here in just a couple of minutes. But uh, coming up here in just a moment, uh, we're going to take a quick uh, timeout before this interview. But we're going to talk to the U.S. Trotting Association's Director of Registry, T.C. Lane, uh, who's joining us. He'll be talking about microchipping coming up next here on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the United States Trotting Association. Looking to bet on great racing from around the country and around the world? There's no better place than BetAmerica.com. But there's also no better time to join because right now we're offering a 100% sign-up bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Simply open a new account at BetAmerica, make your first deposit, and we'll add your bonus immediately. It's that easy. Sign up today at BetAmerica.com. Harness Horse Youth Foundation has the power to bring a life-changing experience to any child. We introduce youth to the horses and skills that build confidence, friendships, and a lifelong love of harness racing. 
the Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Check out the complete list of Harness Horse Youth Foundation camps and activities at hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. That's right, always looking for more new owners, and it's time for the USTA Minute, sponsored by the United States Drawing Association, and right now we're going to send it to Mike Carter, who is live in the USTA studios with a very special guest, T.C. Lane. Mike, take it away. We're joined by uh, T.C. Lane, the Director of Registry at the uh, United States Trotting Association. Before we dive in, uh, first time on the program, so we always ask, you know, how the heck did you wind up in the business of harness racing and uh you know, how did you wind up here at the USDA? Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And first of all, Happy New Year. Uh, looking forward to a big year for you guys as well. Um, my history in harness racing, uh, it goes back um, really originally as a, as a fan, probably 30-some years ago. And uh, as we're looking at, I'm, I'm a livestock guy originally uh, who I would say dabbled in harness racing, um, like I said, as a fan and had some local connections there that were heavily involved. Uh, and I, and I just kind of, I was enamored by the sport and then it become more of a, from a passion to, uh, to an occupation. So I went through the driver trainer ranks, uh, through the college ranks and I was with the Ohio Harness Horsemen's Association for a couple of years. And I've been here for, uh, going on two decades now. So it's been a while. Listen, some great things going on here at the USTA, but microchipping is uh, the focus of this uh, conversation. And, you know, how long has the USTA been kind of looking into this? This is kind of a new and innovative thing that uh, we're bringing over here. But how long has the USBA, USTA been looking into it, and uh, when did the discussions kind of begin? Well, uh, very good question. Uh, the concept or the, the, the implantation of a microchip, and, you know, that's a 30-year process already. You know, so the Europeans have have uh, been they've explored that and then they're they have implemented that and in the u.s it, it was a little bit uh we're slowly uh, adopting that 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 process are i guess here um but the usta about 10 years ago or so at the time uh, president langley had uh, suggested and, and uh, proposed the language which would allow for the usta to uh, recognize uh, microchip and uh, so we started the groundwork with that um but then through a lot of, uh, you know, no, nobody makes a decision fast in this industry. So uh, we, we, we've done our due diligence and, 
and we try to make sure that it was done at the right time under the right parameters and and uh, and it had to be a good time for the for our industry for our members so and uh so the last you know fast forward five years or so uh we're there um you know i guess in the last three years we've become, become really heavy um we, we we've done the research and uh you know, we're at a point now where with technology and the advancements, the uh, the original issue, some of the discussions were about the, the migration of a microchip. And, you know, so that was a concern that, uh, that our board uh, were, were looking at. And uh, we, we kind of addressed that through our agreement with uh, our, the chip manufacturer and and uh, and the, the company that we went with was uh, Merck Animal Health. Uh, they have the uh, the bio bond uh mechanism i guess it's uh it uh it's treating the migration or it's handling the migration issue and the biobond is a trademark trademarked uh, process um that uh, encapsulates or i guess is, is uh to the exterior of the microchip which is equivalent to about the size of a grain of a rice yeah. grain of rice and that eliminates uh the ability for that chip to migrate so if, you know we kind of dispel a lot of those rumors and problems and and different things like that and, and then um, also, as we've gone down the path of, you know, we're 25 years in the microchip or to freeze branding. And, uh, you know, it's, in very, it's very important for from a registry standpoint for identification and traceability. And uh, what we're noticing is that over time, freeze brands become continually distorted, um, therefore makes it uh, makes it very difficult for our, uh, our, our older athletes to be identified. And, uh, so the microchip uh, kind of takes that problem out of it as well. So it's an instantaneous uh, form of identification. So from, from the beginning to the end, uh, we'll be able to identify that horse properly. And not all of the uh, horses in our industry can be foiled again where they have the, the ear thing going on and we can just know who they are. Uh, right, right. Uh, will freeze branding still be used or is this going to be kind of the 100% uh, do all end all type thing? For the foals, Michael, of, uh, of 2019, the primary means of identification um, will be microchip. Um, we we have we have uh, blurred and, and are entertaining the the ability for for those that are adamant about freeze branding those folds for various reasons. Uh, we're granting that approval um, to do that. Those folds will be uh, required to be microchip before they hit the track in 2021. Uh, further, I'd like to note that despite the factor the fact that we will be providing that opportunity. There is a there is a fee, of course, to do that um, because that's that's a secondary means and and uh, that'll be addressed through the individual ID technician that comes to the farm, and uh, so so we're able to take care of uh, both sets. TC Mike Bozich here uh, from the freezing Elkton, Maryland studios over here. I don't know how it's like in Ohio, but uh, it's a little chilly out here with the wind gusting at about fifty miles an hour, but. Uh, what do you think are some of the benefits of uh, a microchips? Like maybe somebody that, that might be on the bubble, whether they should freeze brand or whether they should make the jump to microchip. What's some of the benefits of microchipping? Well, uh, despite the fact that it's, it's, it's the best form of identification, it's, it's, it's instant in terms of being able to provide a reader. Uh, there's no question in terms of, um, you know, oftentimes through our, our members or, or individuals contact the office and say, you know, they're trying to read this freeze brand. They're trying to see who this horse is. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. Um, and they're guessing, is this a J or is this a, is this a nine or is this an, an H, you know? So, um, so properly identifying is one. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I look at is that, 
is the temp scan is um, is really uh, kind of put it over the top for me. And the original question is kind of why now? Um, and by being able to go along the lines of uh, through this partnership with Merck Animal Health and the microchip that that uh, they produce or they, they make available, it, it provides our members and in our industry with just instantaneous ability to, to read and monitor temperatures. And when you look at horse's health and, and being able to be at the top of your game, um, you, you don't want, you don't want something taken for granted. You don't want that horse to not be in its peak performance. And, and by being able to, to get in front of that, I think is, is, is a responsible horse owner, responsible trainer, and it's just overall better for the business. I, all right. I do have a, a follow-up uh, TC now, as far as uh, how the identifiers at the racetrack will go about identifying horses. I know they usually do it by, uh, they do it by freeze brand, right? I, I'm a little, I'm not totally in on that, but they do it by freeze brand, right? As far as the numbers go. That is correct. Um, through uh, all okay, the race- So how would they go about like a, a device or something to, to read the microchip? That's, that's correct. Um, we have Bluetooth and uh, well, we have two, two versions of a reader um, and, and any microchip reader, uh, any universal reader will be able to produce that number, that 15 character number. But all the, all of the information uh, that's stored within that microchip uh, has been or will be uploaded into the database, uh, which is uh, eTrack, which is our uh, USTA uh, web-based application that, that racetracks operate with. Um, so, Currently, when an identifier sees uh, a number, uh, a freeze brand number on a particular horse, that's, that's done in a, on a listing form um, that's printable. Um, now, it's just we're going to provide that number via uh, the microchip onto that form. So that really doesn't change anything there. Um, but also, it's a kind of a good, good segue to um, where we're also at with an app. Uh, we're in the app business, too. You know? So um, that uh, a paddock identifier will be able with his Bluetooth, Bluetooth uh, reader um, uploaded to, the, to his phone. It's an app to his phone, uh, which will be available with Droid and an and iPhone. Um, it's going to be instantaneously be able to scan the microchip into the Bluetooth technology. It's going to accurately feed back into our USDA database, and it's going to tell you the horse's name. So not only would we be able to look at Fold again if he had a microchip, and uh, we, we know who he is by looking at him, but now the app would say, hey, this is foiled again. So it removes all doubt. Now, TC, uh, obviously uh, the question about the readers uh, comes into effect here. Where, where can people uh, at the tracks or you know, even at the farms get readers um, and also the fairs uh, that we have around the country? Uh, the, the readers that uh, you know, we work very hard with our partnership, um, like I said, once again through Merck, and it's uh, to try to create the most value for our members. Uh, that being said, uh, for, we have a very, very deep discount for the Bluetooth readers uh, for $279. Um, retails for like $400. So, and then we have a uh, what we refer to as the basic reader on sale for, or for sale for $69. Um, but uh, you know, I would like to point out that now both of those readers do do read temperatures. Um, not every microchip uh, scanner or reader will read the temperatures. So you can make sure that if you're shopping elsewhere. Make sure that uh, that if you're going to take advantage of that opportunity, not all readers do that. But to purchase through us, um, I encourage everyone to visit uh, myusa.com if you don't already have an account set up, or you can contact our uh, our, our competent enabled staff and member services. 
that was going to be my next question. Uh, if people have, <coughs> excuse me, questions about microchipping, uh, who do they need to contact? Uh, they can contact anybody here. Obviously, they can contact you or. As in everything else, Michael, uh, the best way is to reach out to member services team. Uh, they're, ve- they're very well versed in every aspect of, you know, what the USDA member needs to know. Uh, you can do that by email at member services at USTrutting.com or by the, using the 877-800-8782 number. But uh, if anyone would like to speak to me directly, uh, as always, just feel free to reach out to me at tc.lane at USTrutting.com or feel free to use the same toll-free number, easily accessible. All right, TC. Well, listen, thanks so much for uh, stopping by this morning. Mike, some uh, pretty interesting stuff here, man. Yeah, certainly some really good stuff, and uh, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how microchipping moves forward. I know it's uh, it's a big breakthrough, and it's going to make things a whole lot easier once everybody gets used to it. So thank you very much to, for TC Lane uh, clearing up a lot of the issues and questions about microchipping uh, that, uh, that we had. So uh, thanks for TC joining us. Kelly Spence is going to be joining us as well. Plus, we're still trying to get uh, Lou Humphreys to join us as well from Australia. So we're going to try very, very hard to make that happen. But uh, nonetheless, we've got much more coming up on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. Back in a moment. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. Attention all breeding farms. Did you know Pacing for the Cure has a stud fee for scooter program? Your stud fee donations will help those living with MS with severe mobility limitations obtain a scooter and be able to continue to enjoy their love of harness racing. Contact Jeff at pacingforthecure.org if you'd like to make a donation. Mike? In case you haven't noticed, Mr. Bill G. has begun pacing for the cure for multiple sclerosis. Join in on the fun and weekly contest on Facebook to guess where he will place in each race. Like and share our page. Great prizes available for the lucky winners. Better yet, come out to the racetrack and watch him race live. Let's start a Mr. Bill G. fan club and start blogging on the journey page of the pacingforthecure.org website. Once again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Every year, the Harness Horse Youth Foundation travels the country to share the love of harness racing with the next generation. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation educates, introducing youth to new friends and opportunities. The Harness Horse Youth Foundation has been a positive influence in the lives of thousands of young people since 1976. Learn how you can support bringing kids and horses together, building a stronger future for the sport. Visit hhyf.org. That's hhyf.org.
We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USDA. Mike Bozich along with Mike Carter. And right now, let's uh, bring in what a lot of people think, and I agree, is a guru of marketing, <laughs> Kelly Spencer, now with the stable.ca. You were at uh, Grand River and Elmira for 22 years. And uh, I'll tell you what, some of the great marketing tactics that Grand River and Elmira used to uh, generate people, get people, get butts in seats, as we like to say, uh, really, really, you, you did a heck of a job there. And, and uh, we really appreciate you being on the show. How are you, Kelly? I'm great. Thanks very much, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity to, to be on. And um, thank you for the kind words. I, man, I cringe every time I hear that word guru because <laughs> it doesn't leave a lot of room for error, which is uh, I typically like to have a pretty good cushion in, in terms of error, but, uh, but I do appreciate the kind words. Well, I don't, like uh, use, I don't like to use the word guru, you know, because Ron Gurfine gets a little mad at that. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want his, I don't need his attorneys calling me. But That's nonetheless, a, he's, he's uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Trademarks or something, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, let's talk a little bit about your career, Kelly. Uh, obviously, 22 years there at Grand River in Elmira. Tell us about how you got involved in the sport of harness racing right from the start. Right. Well, my story is quite a bit different from the typical story in harness racing. Um, I I joined Elmira Raceway uh, right out of college. I'd, I'd gone to college for uh, journalism and became uh, pretty disillusioned pretty early that I wasn't going to go and, and work for a newspaper. I was more interested in the marketing side of things and PR and that sort of thing. So, um so it was it was actually just covering a maternity leave. That's how it began. And um it was, you know, my first job out of college. I I had never even touched a horse before, uh, in the flesh. Uh I had no knowledge about horses or horse racing. Um, it was completely new to me. So I have said many times that I think that is probably um, the best thing that could have happened to me because it gave me an awareness of what it's like to come into this sport um, with your eyes, you know, completely closed. You know, I I had no background knowledge, no connections. Um, So when I'm trying to market this sport to people who may be in the same boat, I think I'm more sympathetic to their plight and have a better idea of – of what's required. So I, you know, it didn't take me long to fall in love with it. Uh, I I love horses. I'm not, I'm not a horse person. I can't uh, differentiate a a great horse from a good horse. Um, I can't harness a horse. I certainly can't jog a horse. Um, I have a great respect though for horses and a phenomenal respect for horse people and, um, and the people who love harness racing. I've really fallen in love with harness racing and the people and um, that has really been my story for 22 years is just um, loving harness racing and sharing that love with the world. Man, that is sappy. That sounds so <laughs> sappy when I hear myself say it, but, but it, is, it is the truth. Um, so I came in completely green and just fell in love. Now, Kelly, you transitioned like I did, uh, kind of from the racetrack to a different kind of different kind of work you know the racetrack you know the hustle and bustle you know the constant grind 
But there, it always seems like there's kind of a quote-unquote end of season. And now you're in a position at the stable.ca where things are kind of rapidly going, um, you know, constantly, kind of like they are here at the, here at the USTA. Uh, what <laughs> yeah. was that transition like for you? And did, did it take some getting used to, or is it something that, uh, something that you're excited to take on? Well, uh, my story with the stable is that Anthony and Amy and I have been very good friends for many years. And when they started the stable uh, three years ago, I I helped out when I could, um, kind of guiding them and helping with some marketing advice. Um, I have all the respect in the world for them as horse people and as innovators. And I, I frankly, you know, I didn't have much time to dedicate to it because I had this full-time racetrack job, which, as you said, is is uh, very busy all year, but especially during the summer. So I I committed what little time I could to it. But uh, as we rolled along through the years, and especially this past year, I just um, it just so excited me to be a part of it and to see it growing and to be a part of its growth. And uh, that that was you know a large reason why I decided. To to, to go out on my own. So, um, you know, that was a very, very, very hard decision to make. And it's been a long time coming, but I just, um, I, I just really wanted to be more involved with this on, on a full-time basis. And I'm still, you know, I still got one foot in both worlds right now, next week, next Saturday is my last official, uh, my last official hurrah at Grand River Raceway. So I'm still not, you know, in it full time at, at the stable, but I think for me, the transition will be, will be pretty, pretty simple. Actually. Um, I still get to interact with a lot of the people uh, that I know with all the contacts in harness racing. So I don't foresee that it's going to be a huge uh, shift for me professionally. Now let's get down to the nuts and bolts of marketing. Um, so you're now with the stable.ca and I love everything that the stable has done. We've had Anthony on this show numerous, numerous times and right. uh, it seems, and it seems like that it all comes down to marketing. I mean, we'll start talking about the horses and then right away we get to marketing. And I know Anthony's big into that, big into trying to get the word out, big into promoting the sport of harness racing. The stable, um, it's a little bit, a little bit different. I guess it wouldn't be so much different, but a in terms of, you know, kind of marketing the stable and what they're trying to do versus marketing a race that they're trying to do. What are some differences that you think and some of the challenges that will be marketing the stable versus a racetrack? Well, I mean, yeah, it, they are, they are different animals, but I think, uh, and I think Anthony has, has quickly realized and quite to his credit that uh, the biggest component of, of marketing the stable.ca and, and it's the same with the racetrack is that what it really hinges on is, um, you know, filling the need in the market, you know, assessing what people really want in owning a racehorse and uh, filling that need. And, and most of all, you know, doing it in an innovative way and doing it in a way that provides consistent, uh, outstanding customer service. And, Certainly, Anthony and Amy uh, got that message uh, very early and have provided outstanding customer service. They listen to their clients. Uh, they're in constant communication with their clients. You know, a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, one of the greatest assets of, of the stable.ca is this, is this uh, access to constant communication. So our, you know, drone training videos that we do every other week, um, you know, people have 
we have clients who live literally all around the world, 600 clients from 11 different countries. So this is a way for them to still be able to see no matter where they live, how their horse is progressing and to be continually engaged in the process. Anthony answers literally two to 300 emails every day and answers every single one, takes every single call. Every client of the stable knows that they can contact uh, him or me or one of the other team at any time, and their call will never go unanswered. We'll always chat with them. And that, you know, when it comes down to it, that is, that is the cornerstone of great marketing. It's great customer service. If you take care of your customer, your customer will take care of you. And that, frankly, is, is the message that uh, – Every facet of harness racing, including the racetracks, uh, need to understand that's really the fundamental cornerstone of great marketing is great customer service. Now, listen, spe- speaking of questions, Kelly, you know, you got to tell me about the trotter we just purchased. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it, it allows <laughs> it's funny because it allows people like me, for instance, um, I bought we bought a piece of a um, an Ohio bread for my fiance and who's never yes. been in the sport harness racing she's never been you know connected at all until she met me but now she has the opportunity to go to a track here in ohio uh, it's an ohio bread so chances are they'll be on the ohio sire stakes at some point what have you but since we mm-hmm. live right here in ohio, we have you know four or five tracks within you know a three-hour radius of us but it allows people like that to go out see their horse touch their horse be around their horse it's just what a cool concept this has turned out to be yeah, it is amazing, and I'll, I'll tell you the the experiences uh, that our clients are having. I mean, that's it's so gratifying because because you're accomplishing exactly what you set out to do, and that is to create the connections to the horses. One of the really fascinating things that I find about um, about this concept is, uh, I, from a marketing perspective, I always like to know what's what's happening underneath the surface, right? What's like the true nature of what's really going on? What are people really seeking from your product? And it's not, it's kind of like that sizzle versus steak thing. You know, you're not really buying the steak, you're buying the sizzle. And I, I find a lot, especially with our clients, it becomes very apparent that what people are buying is, um, you know, they're buying that, that emotional response. They're buying engagement there. And in your case, I'm sure you can uh, attest to this. A lot of times, our clients, you know, are involved on, you know, the, the whole family is kind of part of part of the experience, right? So it provides a platform, and I, I'm putting this in air quotes because it's 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 not the right word, but it's the best one I can use. Is it, it's an excuse to be together. So it's an excuse to to share an experience together. So when you can take your whole family to the track and you own part of that horse and you're invested in that emotionally and financially. Um, it, it really creates a connection opportunity for you with your family, right? So it's creating all of these really cool experiences um, and, and emotional opportunities beyond just, you know, we own a piece of a racehorse. It's just, it's, it's really fascinating. And I'll tell you, that is, that is uh, for me, so I own part of uh, White Tiger. I own 1% of White Tiger. And uh, he was, you know, one of the one of the best two-year-old trotters this past year. He uh, he tied the world record uh, on a five-eighths mile track. And I bought into him last year. Of course, I was still just helping the stable on a on a very part-time basis. I bought into him last year, and the reason that I did that is because 
I needed to buy into this 1% of a horse because even though I was fully indoctrinated in the stable and I believed in what they were doing, I was getting this feedback from our clients, um, like these amazing testimonials. And I still had that doubt of like, how can you be that enthused just owning 1%? I still didn't <laughs> quite, you know what I mean? I just oh, yeah, I still sure. didn't, yeah, I just still couldn't quite grasp it. And I hear this from a lot of people who are, you know, very involved, who are all in, in harness racing. It's their entire world. It's their entire career. I still hear that doubt from them about, well, I just can't see how 1% would be enough to get, you know, aroused. And so I bought, I bought into him quite by accident last year. I was just, it was right before Christmas time in 2017. And I was, I was out at the farm and I was uh, photographing the horses. Everyone else had left. I was just me. And I, I leaned down to pick up my camera bag. I had been thinking about, I need to buy one of these horses. But as I said, I, I have no horse sense. I don't know a good horse from a great horse. And White Tiger just happened to be the horse that was in the stall that, where my bag was sitting in front of. And I picked up my camera bag and he licked the back of my neck. And I said, well, this one seems like a good one. I'll pick this one. <laughs> and of course, he went on to be just incredible, made $143,000, you know, we got to go to the Meadowlands to watch him race on Hambo Day. Um, I was there at Mohawk when he won his first race. It was just, it was just amazing. And his last race was in the William Wellwood uh, final, and he, he was sitting second. And then I could see in the stretch he he wasn't going to finish in the money. But I tell you, part of me. So that was in September, mid September, and I had been flirting with this idea of pretty heavily of, of quitting Grand River and, and going, going for it with the stable and my own business. And my heart, when that race finished, I literally turned to the person beside me and I said, can you, can you hear that? Like, I honestly thought they would be able to hear my heart because it was pounding out of my chest. And I thought, I thought I have not felt like this. I can't remember the last time my heart pounded like this. And I, I remember thinking at the time, I was like, that, that is what we're selling. That is the product we sell at the stable.ca. It's that feeling of your heart just literally leaping out of your chest. All of those other emotions that go with owning a racehorse, and that includes disappointment because that's part of owning an animal, you're going to feel disappointment, but you're going to feel elation and you're going to feel, you know, emotions at a height that you just really don't have many other opportunities in life to feel them like that on a regular basis. So I think um, I, I've lost track. I don't even know if I answered your question or not, but just recounting, just recounting that story, just, I mean, that, that is what I want to sell. That is what I want to give to the world at the stable.ca because it is just potent. And when you can share it with the people you love in your life, you know, you can have that experience together. It's amazing. It's just amazing. You know, it's, it's kind of cool. And I know Mike has one more question before we wrap up, but you know, we bought a, a, a piece of sometimes things happen and let me, let me, oh, just, I, I, yeah, let me okay. Yeah. Let, let me give you an example here. Okay. I bought in for $226 Canadian. Okay. So I, I I come into my you know little dashboard here and I sort by you know how much each horse is and as I'm looking at this sometimes things happen is probably probably about the 21st or so down on the most expensive horses but as I look yeah. at the price of sometimes things happen 
it, it's almost like the stock market. The price is kind of drift to somebody like yep. me that's encouraging because you know, hey, it's drifted up a little bit. That means you know he's doing you know he's doing what he needs to do. And so it, it's been kind of cool to kind of watch that happen and kind of watch that valuation of what we bought. Now, granted, we're not doing it for the money. We only own one percent. You know, we're just trying to have some fun. Right. But it's cool to kind of see you know how that valuation kind of drifts up as uh, as time goes on. Yeah, well, that's a great point. It's, uh, you know, uh, everything that's happening is, and, and you're, you know, you're referring to that sort of back end. Uh, once you become a client, you get access to that back end of the stable.ca, which, which people on the front side don't see. But it's really cool, right? Like the technology is really great because, like you said, you can see in real time what's happening with your horse. So you couple that with, you know, all of the other things that we offer, like the, you know, the, the live broadcast on training days and the constant communication from Anthony and, and all of those things. And it really, right. It really makes you feel like uh, you're part of the process because, because you are, you know, what's going on. You're, you're, um, you're involved. And um, so you're fully engaged. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. All right, Kelly, before we let you go, one final question. And uh, this is kind of g- going to be the granddaddy of them all because I know you've uh, got asked this question about a million times. But in uh, every every racetrack operators out there with listening and they've got uh, their pens in their hands and their notebooks ready, what do we do to get people back involved in harness racing? What is, is, there, a, is, is there an answer? Can we bring harness racing back? Right. So, yeah, there's no silver bullet, that's for sure. There definitely isn't. Uh, I can tell you after 22 years that there's there's no silver bullet. And I think if you asked, you know, um, the marketing director at a tech company or the marketing director at, you know, a learn how to macrame company or whatever kind of company, I think they're all going to tell you the same things. And um, and I don't think ours is any different. I touched on it already. I think I, I really think the most important part is uh, is customer service. That if you're, you know, if you're committed to understanding and providing what the customer really wants, um, and your whole team is on board with that, and all the logistical things that have to happen in the back end happen to support that plight, um, then. Uh, you know, eventually you will get it right, but it, it has to be done consistently and you have to understand what the consumer wants. And then you have to be committed consistently to providing it. And uh, honestly, that's the way forward. That's the way forward for the stable.ca. And that's the way forward for harness racing. Good stuff. Well, Kelly, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Best of luck to you at the stable. You were a fantastic guest, and I will guarantee you that uh, we will bring you back on in pretty short order because we love talking about marketing the sport of harness racing. We love talking about trying to get the word out because, obviously, that's the most important thing we can do as a business, no matter whether you're a racetrack or a stable or what have you. I, I agree, and I thank you for all your efforts, and it was, uh, it was great to be on. Thanks so much. Take care, Kelly. Okay, thank you. Take care. All right, that was Kelly Spencer, and uh, tell you what, good stuff there, Mike. I mean, whenever we have a chance to talk marketing, uh, you know, we got to take advantage of it, and they don't come much better than Kelly Spencer, my friend. Not at all. What a great interview that was, and some really, really good information. She even knew who my horse was, so that's a plus, too. All right. Well, listen, without further ado, and, and, and Luke has been on hold and he's been waiting so graciously and, and, we, fi- and uh, we finally were able to get in contact with Luke. So uh, let's bring him in from down under. Luke, welcome to the program. First of all, what what time is it down there, man? I mean, we it's like four in the morning down there, right? 
Uh, you can hear me? Nah, we got yep. you, buddy, loud and clear. We've got you. Yeah, we've, we've overcome everything here. Um, yes, we uh, have. Hello, Mike. Mike, uh, yeah, nice to be on the program. Uh, it's 3.33 a.m. at present. So, uh, wow. But anyway. Okay, 3.33. So listen, all you numbers players out there, lotteries, the daily three, whatever you're playing, 3.33 is the number that you're going to want to uh, focus it's in on. 3.34. No, 334. Okay, we'll add 334, so you got to play two now, 333, 334. But anyway, Luke, listen, we appreciate your patience. We're so happy to get you back on, man. I We, we played one of your calls earlier uh, in the program, uh, the Inter-Dominion call, and I'll tell you, just in, I mean, for 17, both Mike and I are race callers, and i got to tell you, for 17 years old, I, I just about fell out of my chair. Honestly, I just about fell out of my chair as far as to how good the race call was and how it sounded. So let's let's get down to business. How did you get started in this whole thing? How did you get started? Where'd your love for uh, harness racing come from? Uh, thanks uh, for those calls. I was actually listening to the program before we got on here before, and I had those uh, very kind comments, Mike. So thank you for that uh, very much. Um, the old man, my father, Paul's always had uh, harness horses for many years um never had any good ones until a couple of years ago and then uh when i was about um eight years old he finally had a good one a horse by the name of uh, palais de louvre and that horse was able to win a couple of um metropolitan races here in um victoria the um uh, st- uh, the state uh which of course is uh, in melbourne and um turned out to be quite a very good horse and he actually should have won a size stakes race if he didn't get caught um, three back on the fence um, with absolutely nowhere to go and running up the backsides left, right and centre. So he actually should have won a size stakes um, as a two-year-old which was um, would have been very exciting. But anyway, he actually won a Breeders' Crown race um, a cup, a Breeders' Crown Cup race for like um, uh, lower grade metropolitan horses. In fact, it was the only race on the Breeders' Crown day a couple of years ago that actually wasn't um, a Group One top tier race, but I think we celebrated half an idiot the other connection. So that's how I sort of got interested. Um, Bob, with once um, he got a good horse, and then um, I was about eight years old. This is probably going back to 2009, 2010 when he started racing as a two and three year old, and um, uh, started following it um, from there, and um, decided to get the race calling a go when I was ten years old, which was. Uh, I was yeah, ten years old, 2011, 2012, and we've just um, decided to persist with it, and we've um, luckily enough so far been able to make a career out of it. Now, talk to us kind of how you how you got interested in race calling just in general, Luke. You know, I, I mean, I ha- I know for me it was when I was 14. I got my start. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the track uh, Colonial Downs, is a mile and a quarter track that used to race here in the United States, and. You know, that was, for me, it was a particularly tough place to call, and I'm so thankful that that's where I learned how to call races. But, you know, we don't see a lot of young race callers, uh, so to speak, in the the sport anymore. So it's a breath of fresh air to see uh, uh, somebody like you over in Australia. But, you know, how how did you kind of get into this? And uh, explain to us kind of what you do uh, for uh, the trots. Um, So I suppose, as I say... um I was just brought up into racing, really. Um, my father's, as I said, always had, well, thoroughbred horses, harness horses, and he even had the greyhounds as well um, for a little while. And I um, just suppose, um, I just suppose, watching the races on the uh, television down here, on uh, Sky Racing down here, I just um, well, naturally heard race calls every couple of minutes. And I've always, suppose, I suppose when I was about 
nine or ten, I used to sort of repeat um, uh, famous or even just normal race calls just under my breath, really, just even, you know, if it was uh, the previous year's Inter-Dominion or Miracle Mile and whoever was calling it, I don't know their words, um, word by word, what they said in the last 200 metres. And I'd just repeat that under my breath. And then, as I say, I just decided to give it a go. Um, in the uh, Melton, um, which is uh, the um, home of harness racing in uh, Victoria, about uh, uh, half an hour out of Melbourne, um, decided to give, uh, give it an actual go, calling it live, just in the grandstand, not over the PA, um, just in the grandstand uh, at the uh, qualifiers, as we now call them, the trials, but as, um, as you would call them over there, the uh, qualifiers. And um, I was decided to give it a go. I thought it would be easy. And, uh, I think I called about three horses in the first lap. I was absolutely appalling. And, um, and then I didn't actually do it for about 12 months. And then I actually decided to give it a go again. And um, as I say, we've just um, kept on going for me. But I think listening to... I mean, we've had plenty of great race callers here in Australia um, from going back to the 70s and the 60s and the 80s. Um, I heard you say before, Mike, um, one of the reasons why I suppose the Australian race callers are recognised as um, um, the best uh, or have were, were or definitely were back in the days of, in the 90s and um, all that um, is because we're very descriptive. We've been brought uh, back in the day we were, um, where there was no television or very limited racing on television, so it was for radio, so you had to call for well, the people couldn't say the race. So that's the way I've brought up to do it. I try to call, um, you know, the race um, for someone that can't see, but I think you've also got to um, naturally bring in a bit of colour and um, also for the... I think it's um, you have to move with the time as well because a lot more racing is now shown on the television, so whether that's bringing in colours or there's only one horse in the race that's wearing a noseband or whatever, you probably have to bring that in as well. But just listening to famous race calls is probably what got me into it. And then, as I say, I decided to give it a go, and uh, here we are today. And that's what I was going to ask you. Now, now you, you've called Greyhound Racing and, and Harness Racing, and I actually got my start in Greyhound Racing back in 1997. Um, and, it, you know, I'm thankful for that opportunity because, obviously, Greyhound Racing is a lot more fast-paced. I mean, the race lasts, what, 30, 40 seconds, depending on the distance. And, you know, Harness Racing lasts two minutes, so you're forced to really focus you know, during Greyhound races, because, I mean, things just happen very, very, very quickly. Um, and that's what I was going to ask you, a two-part question. First of all, did you, do you find that announcing Greyhounds helps you uh, in terms of uh, announcing harness racing and keep that tempo? And secondly, you talked a little bit about horse identification. What are some of the tips and tricks that you use to uh, identify horses, as you're calling? First of all, read the Greyhound races. Um, yes, it, it, you definitely have to be... Um, just um yeah you just you, you, you just can't blink really i know um sometimes when i'm calling harness races here um i will um sometimes just um oh, so say if the, the odds on favorites in front and it's getting an easy run i'll just have a quick look at the tote board and see and and throw in the the dollar fifty or the twos on the two to one on favorites in front well you can't read out say that turn look back and uh, say in the, the uh, two to one on favourites in front of the greyhounds because you just got to keep calling them. Um, I've been calling the greyhounds. Um, well, I used to do the greyhound qualifiers um, before they got rid of them for the radio station here in Victoria, and then all of a sudden, um, one of the race callers in Victoria is left to go up and get a job in a, in um, Sydney, uh, Matt Jackson, and I've been able to um, sort of uh, fill his position in a way. And um, I've been caught. I think I've caught about six greyhound meetings or something already since the turn of the year, and. 
after having that sort of hiatus from it, yes, you just have to be quick, quick and just not blink and um, you just can't miss a beat once the um, lure rolls um, right until um, the end of the race. And, of course, they um, disappear from you as soon as they go across the line. So trying to call them um, all over... I know I think the Australians are sort of the only ones to worry about it, but trying to call every greyhound over the line can be a bit of a, a trick as well. Um, re-horse identification... Um, so I actually hardly do anything, uh, as in learning colours for greyhounds and harness. Um, greyhounds, or here in Australia, they all have the same rugs. So reds one, black and whites two, white three, blue four, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then for the harness racing here in Australia, well, um, in recent, uh, or probably about the last five or six years, they've brought in the um, greyhound saddle cloths for the harness. So the actual um, greyhounds. I know. Um, I think at some tracks in America, or maybe most tracks, you can tell me. Um, in America, they have uh, their own coloured saddlecloths and, you know, reds one and whatever. But um, now with the harness racing, reds one with the saddlecloth, black and whites two, whites three. So if you call the greyhounds, well, you know, the reds one, black and whites two, whites three, etc., etc. So you sort of, for me anyway, don't have to learn them because I can just quickly look down because I know I'm going through them and then I see the red saddlecloth, that's one. And I think most of the horses, you know, anyway, and even calling... Um, lot the same drivers sort of week in week out you can sort of work out who's um who from a driving perspective thoroughbreds for me are definitely the hardest you have to learn them pretty hard but um that's the way i learn them uh, well as i said i don't do much color study for the greyhounds and the harness but thoroughbreds is a bit different now luke uh what what kind of, or i'm sorry uh, what what do you look forward to kind of through your career? What is a kind of some goals that if you, you have set for yourself as a race caller? Uh, do you want to stay in Australia? Do you want to want, maybe wander this way? Uh, what 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 are the goals of uh, one loop of racing? Um, well, a couple of weeks ago, it was to call um, a black a group. Do you, first, do you guys have group? Oh, well, I know in obviously in America they have um, well thoroughbreds they have grade three, grade two, grade one, and um, well, a couple of weeks ago it was to call a um, a graded race, a black type race, and then I did my first um, grade race, um, or group race as we call it, grade race as you call it, my first um, black type race at a country town called Miraburra a couple of weeks ago, which was the Group 3 Miraburra Trotters Cup. So that was um, quite a thrill to call my first um, group race at only 17. I um, feel pretty lucky to do that. So that was sort of a goal a couple of weeks ago. Now that I've achieved that, I suppose um, to call a grade one race um, would be pretty good um i think the pinnacle would have to be the melbourne cup um i'm a harness racing man i love all three codes of racing i always will be a harness racing man um but i think if i could get the chance to do just one melbourne cup i think that would be yeah pretty cool um 24 horses it's um uh obviously the equivalent of your kentucky derby from a popularity perspective um around the country um if i could do one melbourne cup i think that'd be pretty awesome yeah all right. Well, Luke, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. We know it's uh, approaching 4 o'clock in the morning in your part, so we'll let you get some uh, some sleep. But listen, uh, if you're ever in the States, look us up, because uh, I know uh, Mike Carter does a lot of announcing in Northfield Park, and uh, I'm sure uh, he would mind you calling a race, and I'd love to have you call a race here at, at uh, Harris, Philadelphia, which is a 5-8 mile track and uh, located in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, but uh, you're more than welcome. If you ever come into the States, please look us up, man. I think you're outstanding, an outstanding race caller, and we certainly look uh, forward to uh, hearing much more of uh, your voice in the coming years. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's very kind. Again, apologies about all the um 
problems before and keep them sort of delaying the um, other guests on the show. But no, it's been really nice uh, to be on the program. Really appreciate you. Appreciate it, guys. All the best. All right. Good luck to you in the future, Luke. Thanks, Mike. All the best, guys. Cheers. Wow. How about that? <laughs> 17, huh? 17 years old. He, I'll tell you what, he sounds uh, sounds very mature for his age, that's for sure. Boy, you're talking about a kid that's, that just sounds like he's got everything together. You yeah. know, I mean, you know, I, we played the race car earlier in the program, but I, I was honestly, I was floored. I'm not kidding. You. I, I, it was a very solid race call. You, you know, I do. I did want to ask him and I know he was getting late. I didn't want to keep him any longer, but and I know you do it at times. And I know other callers here do it, at, you know, at times or um, they do it uh, consistently, but calling the horses, all of the horses through the line, like not it, like, like, and what I'm saying is, is that, you know, a lot of announcers stop in the top three or the top four, if there's a super or the top five, um, you know, if there's a high five or a jackpot high five or whatever, a lot of announcers keep calling through the line, but that is something that you hear exclusively in Australia. Like I, I get the feeling that if you or I were to go out there and call a race in Australia, we were to top at the, stop at the top three or the top four, we'd probably get killed. Oh yeah, for sure. Probably, probably wouldn't be able to walk out of the announcer's booth. That's for sure. So, so what? So what do you? So why do you think that is? I don't know. That's a good question. And you know what's even interesting, more interesting, Mike, is the fact that they're able to call them all through the line and and just not even skip a beat. I mean, there's 24, 25 horses in some of these races. I don't know that it, it, you know if you asked Larry Calmness or Travis Stone to do that in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it would be, I mean, almost impossible. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but but it, it's just a, it's a, it's a different kind of thing over there. I mean, it, you know, it's a just, you know, racing is is really different over there. It, it really is, and um, you know, I mean, I I don't know, I, I I guess the reason we stop at the top three or the top four is because that's where the betting ends. Yeah, but here, you know, you think about it, and I, and I go through the field sometimes when I'm at Northfield. I don't know if you notice uh, or, or yeah, you, not. You do it, you, but you don't do it consistently. You're, you're off and no, on. I guess but, it just depends but, but, on how yeah. you feel. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. It's not, you know, it's not every race, but I try to, you know, off and on throughout the night. You know, I've been kind of trying to practice it here lately. And people, you know, they want to know where their horse finished. I think that's part of the thing. And, you know, that they want to know how their horse did, regardless of whether or not they finished in or out of the money. Right, right. It's just another aspect of announcing. I mean, it's, you know, like you say, it's just, you know, another aspect of it. Some people do it, some people don't. I, you know, but 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 definitely in Australia, you got to. I, I think that might must be a rule because I haven't heard a, a race over there where they don't. You know, right. so that must be like one of the prerequisites. But anyway, thanks, th- thank you very much for Luke Humphreys uh, for getting on the program. I know he had to overcome some connection issues, but we got him, and I'm I'm glad we did. We're going to take one final time out and wrap things up on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America and the USTA. In a moment. At BetAmerica, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the BetAmerica way. 
Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. Winback Farms welcomes three new stallions in 2019. New to New York, Boston Red Rocks, one of the 2015 Dan Patch Award for two-year-old pacing colts, and a Breeders' Crown champion. New to Pennsylvania, 34-time winner Heston Blue Chip, one of the Dan Patch Awards for three-year-old colt pacers and a Breeders' Crown champion. Also the sire of the second richest two-year-old Philly pacer of 2018, Zero Tolerance. And new to Ontario, my MVP, a proven sire of stakes winners, including Good Times Trot winner Wolfgang. For more information, go to winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. We're back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by the United States Trotting Association and Bet America. Thanks to all our guests for coming on. Thanks to our listeners for checking us out. We'll be back here next Thursday. Mike, I'll be another year older come next Thursday. Uh, so I, I got through the whole show, and you didn't rag me at all for being. So we'll see everybody next week. At well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold <laughs> on. I didn't forget. Tomorrow is Mike Carter's birthday. It, what, 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 are you 17 too? Yeah, I'm 17. We'll see everybody <laughs> next week. All right. Well, happy birthday to you. And by the way, your birthday's tomorrow, and Benjamin's is Saturday. Oh, both of us will be my my, my son that will turn seven. So happy birthday, happy birthday to both you and Ben. All right, man. Well, happy birthday to uh, the two of us. We'll see everybody next week on our show at 1030. Thank you.